I'm John Dauberstein, Senior Editor at No-Till Farmer, and welcome to the latest edition of our 2017 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Managing Annual Ryegrass in No-Till, It's All About the Details, is brought to you by Topcon Agriculture. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they're released. If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. I'd like to take a moment to thank Topcon Agriculture for sponsoring today's episode. From planting to precision machine control, Norex boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, Topcon Agriculture offers a total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit topcompositioning.com backslash growing solutions to learn more about how Topcon Agriculture application solutions make agronomy work for you. Annual ryegrass is one of the more economical cover crops and provides numerous benefits to no-tilled soils, yet some farmers are hesitant to use it because of reports that it can be difficult to manage. Dan Towery, a no-till consultant with Ag Conservation Solutions in Lafayette, Indiana, says that while it's true farmers need to pay attention to details, seeding annual ryegrass and understanding the requirements to properly desiccate it will provide no-tillers the confidence to cover their farmland with this valuable tool. Tari will describe best management practices gleaned from his 20 years of experience working with annual ryegrass that will help you use the cover crop more effectively. Now let's listen in as Dan discusses some of the benefits of annual ryegrass as a carbon provider and nitrogen scavenger in no-tilled soils and the optimum seeding window for its use in the U.S. Annual ryegrass. How many here are cheap? Okay, it's cheap. It's one of the cheapest cover crops that there is. And it gives, the especially for the dollar, it gives the biggest bang for the buck. But management is key. You do shortcuts, especially on the burn down part. Well, I'll say this, it's on the, the planting side, planting it too late, and screwing up the burn, burn down is where most of the errors occur. Attributes, economical. Now see, Cameron here, we would say it's, he uses it because it's cheap. Right, Cameron? Right, buddy. That's right. But we'll say it's economical. Deep rooting, deepest rooting of any of the cover crops. Carbon-nitrogen ratio at termination is around 17 to 1. Very important, especially if you're planting corn into it. It's a great nitrogen scavenger. Okay? Very high quality forage. Tonnage it is so-so, but great quality. It doesn't grow too fast in the spring, like cereal rye, where if you get a wet spell that's warm and it kind of gets away from you. It's shade tolerant. Issues. Issues within your ryegrass. It can winter kill. Absolutely, it can. Hard to kill in the spring. Well, that's because you don't know what you're doing. Okay. Uh, windy conditions can affect aerial seeding. 
needs to be planted early. It's got rye in the name, but it is not cereal rye, okay? It doesn't, it's got a different planting window. When I first started working for the Oregon Ryegrass Commission, I told them first thing, change the name. Cereal rye, annual ryegrass. I still have to explain that to growers. It's, it's we're talking apples and oranges. Okay, this, this is, I'm gonna hit hard on this, because, and this applies for all the cover crops. Maybe cereal rye is the exception. The timing, because we're looking at the, the calendar date, the planting method, and what you're gonna plant. I think too many folks are just, I'll get it planted as soon as I can get harvest done. You're gonna be frustrated to no end. Part of it depends on where you're at, but you've gotta get it planted when it needs to be planted. We need about 60 days of growth, okay, before winter comes in. So uh, where we're at in Cincinnati, we could, go, we could probably even go a little later than October 1 down here, October 15th maybe. Uh, this is what, <clears throat> until you've got four or five years of experience, I would strongly encourage you to do. Mark out the, in your area the ideal planting window. I only put September up here, and this is for Central, I'm from Lafayette, Indiana. So for Lafayette, it would be back, back to about uh, August 20th to September 15th. That's the sweet spot. That's when you needed to get planted. When your corn and soybeans are gonna be harvested is irrelevant. If you're gonna use this cover crop, this is the time it needs to be planted. So, because Annual ryegrass, just like any other cover crop, you know, the dates that we have for planting, you know, it all depends. Once we seed the cover crop, what temperatures do we have? Most, these cool season cover crops, including annual ryegrass, they grow four times as much in warm weather as in cold weather, okay? I think somebody used the analogy, I think maybe it was, you know, uh, one day in September is worth five days of growth in October, okay? Uh, daylight, how many hours of sunshine are you gonna have? Moisture, you gotta have moisture for these crops to grow, the length of time. And if we're depending on a nitrogen scavenger, there's gotta be some nitrogen in the soil profile. I heard a lot of numbers that were very impressive as far as nitrogen scavenging. And the reality check is, especially if you're starting out, it's all about there has to be nitrogen in the soil profile. So annual ryegrass, cereal rye, uh, radishes, whatever. It can't take up more nitrogen than what is in the soil profile. Let's separate out a little bit of the myths. In the, the no-till, using cover crops, everything on top of the ground, most of that is gonna go up as CO2. In fact, there is some work that's been done that shows the slow release, especially if you have a 
large biomass, the slow release of the carbon dioxide actually may be helping with plant growth. But you can see annual ryegrass, 2,600 to 4,500 pounds of roots. Cereal rye, less than that. Oats, corn, 3,000 to 4,000 pounds. And actually, soybeans are a negative. You lose organic matter with soybeans. And again, this is estimated. You know, very fine roots. They can grow four to five feet deep. It can grow through compacted layers because the roots are so fine. If, if like in a weak fragipan, if it's moist, the roots will grow through it. They actually will grow over the winter. I, I couldn't believe this when we first started. That, well, if it's covered with snow, how can the roots grow through? But they, they do. They don't grow very fast, but they grow. The other thing is, with any cover crop, but especially with annual ryegrass, you drive by in the pickup, maybe you slow down to 45, and you know it's, it's early, and, but oh, you only got inch and a half, two inches of growth. What a disappointment. You get out there and dig, and I've seen inch and a half growth and roots going down 24 inches. So, a tile problem? Yes, it can be a tile problem. And radishes can be a, a tile problem. And with, based on the number of calls that I've gotten and other folks that work a lot with cover crops, when it's a tile problem, it's because you've got water sitting in the tile. That's where you can have a problem. Most of the time, uh, if, you, if the water's flowing, you're not, it's not going to be. I mean, look at how many millions of acres of cover crops. And you hear about the, the, the tile blocking every once in a while. I was in Iowa in an area that had absolutely zero cover crops. And the tiling contractor, he, he, he had developed a little auger to get the corn roots out of the tile. Well, again, water is standing. Hopefully, it may actually more prolific if that septic is hooked to the tile. So you also got nitrogen sitting in it. We'll rejoin Dan's presentation, but I wanted to take a moment and once again thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for supporting our No-Till Farmer podcast series. From planting to precision machine control, Norax boom height control, monitor and mapping to data management, Topcon Agriculture offers a total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit topcompositioning.com backslash growing solutions to learn more about how Topcon Agriculture application solutions make agronomy work for you. As it turns out, there's more to think about with annual ryegrass than just getting the seed in the ground. While it's a prolific producer of biomass, many factors affect the nitrogen scavenging ability of the cover crop and the availability of that nitrogen for the next crop. 
Let's get back to the program now and listen as conservation expert Dan Towery discusses important considerations for nitrogen cycling when annual ryegrass is seeded as a cover crop, as well as potential winter kill issues, different equipment options for seeding, and seeding rates that can be used. Annual ryegrass, one to three tons of biomass. Uh, again, it all depends on planting date, how warm it is, that type of thing. The amount of nitrogen scavenged, it can vary anywhere from 20 to 120 pounds. How much nitrogen is in the soil profile? If you've been doing no-till and cover crops for a long time, you're gonna have more of a bank that it can draw on. It's your first year, and I've seen it more after wheat, especially in the northern part of the Corn Belt. You know, there's not much, many times, there's not much nitrogen left in the soil profile. I've actually seen both annual ryegrass and radishes. They're pet, kind of a pale green, and it was, there wasn't enough nitrogen for it to, to grow. Cereal rye, you know, Especially if you put manure down, it can get up to 200 pounds. Radish, I stopped it at, actually I've seen data that showed 350 pounds with cereal rye. You know, you put the wheat, after wheat, you put the 8,000 gallons of hog manure down. Uh, you got plenty of time for it to grow. Because with the radishes, we can count both the, the top growth and the tuber. The take home message is it's going to vary and all of that nitrogen is not going to be available. Somewhere 40 to 70% is going to be available, like if you were terminating it and planting corn into it. We had a number of presentations that talked about planting green into cereal rye, nice and tall, but those are on fields where they have a high level of biological activity. Carbon-nitrogen ratio uh, I think would cause a train wreck if you went out on a, a field that was new to cover crops, new to no-till, and planted into it that, that tall. So cereal rye, as it matures, the carbon-nitrogen ratio changes. So that's why you can do corn if you keep the cereal rye fairly tall <clears throat> until you get in a very active uh, biological system. Annual ryegrass is about 17 to 1. If it gets a little bit taller, it can get a little bit higher perhaps than that. But it's under that 25 to 1 ratio. So that nitrogen is going to be available for the corn crop. In fact, that nitrogen is going to be available, oh, about the 1st of July. Right when the corn crop needs it the most. Winter kill. Again, I live in the Lafayette area. And it can get cold there. Basically what we've seen, if we have a wind chill, not temperature, but wind chill of minus 20 to minus 30, and there's no snow cover, we can have winter kill. Uh, some annual ryegrass varieties are better than others at winter hardiness. But part of the key is if you plant late and it only gets up yay big, and the roots are fairly shallow, it's much more susceptible to winter kill. 
But I also suggest it can look terrible. I've often suggested to several of the companies they should change their name, call it Lazarus annual ryegrass. Because you never know in the spring when it's going to come back. Uh, it may or it may not. It just depends if the growing point was killed or not. Seeding rates, they can vary from 10 to 25, 10 to 30 actually if you're looking at for a forage. You know, it's the earlier you plant it, you can reduce the seeding rate. Uh, the method that you plant it, the drill gives you the good seed to soil contact, but, you know, <clears throat> if you're waiting until September 25th to plant, it's not going to grow very fast. So, what we found is that uh, uh, 25 pounds aerial applied, like north of Indy, probably south of Indy, you're, I'm not sure you've got a bigger window there that aerial application wouldn't be, a, a, you wouldn't need it. Southern part of the, of like around here, uh, you're going to get more tillery, uh, or she had the potential to get more tillery, more growth out of it. So just know, and this actually applies with a lot of cover crops, it all depends on where you're at and how you're seeding it. Uh, just real quick, some of the different methods, we've seen some of these before, the air seeder mounted on a vertical tillage tool. Uh, we can set it up two boxes so that you know you got every seven and a half inches and you can do any combination that you want. Again, this requires waiting until after harvest. So uh, we've got some guys actually have gone in, either aerial applied or whatever, and go back in in early November and do a little strip till. So especially if you're new to, to cover crops or especially annual ryegrass, it gives you a little, little, maybe helps the comfort zone a little bit. Because you will have, uh, it's not annual ryegrass there, but to the, anyway, it's the concept of bio strip till. Aerial seeding, uh, again, 12 to $15 an acre, uh, mixes well with other cover crops, but you do need to be, uh, you need to have a, find a good pilot because again, annual ryegrass only is much lighter it only weighs 26 pounds a bushel. And anything over like a, a seven mile per hour wind, and it may not be landing where you want it. Plus the pilot needs to calibrate for annual ryegrass, because we're talking depending on speed and altitude. All those are factors in getting a good job done. So this is what we want. We haven't even harvested the corn, but yet we've had probably five, six weeks of growth in the cover crop. High clearance cedar, uh, the one on your left is uh, uh, Miller Nitro, uh, Mike Shooters. He's got both a 90 foot and he also then built one with 105 foot. Uh, so he uses herbicides, fungicides, and then seed the cover crops. Takes about a day or so to make the switch. Uh, the one on the right is Cameron's. So Cameron showed that before. Uh, <clears throat> a little bit different setup, 
But again, he's got lots of options for doing interceding, which we're going to talk about, um, or going into it, uh, you know, starting late uh, middle of August uh, on. So this is at Mike's. Uh, this is annual ryegrass, crimson clover, and radishes. He seeded on August the 23rd, harvested the corn on September 21st. You know, we've had some discussions that it's, even though the corn is drying down, it's important to get it harvested as soon as possible to get maximum sunlight down there. Because again, we're also, you know, it's getting the sunlight, but it's also, you know, hopefully having some warm temperatures so you can get maximum growth out of it. Ray McCormick's, one of his, you know, this is, this, again, the window, the sweet spot, if you're using this type of rig, planting needs to occur at the same time that you're going to be harvesting. So it's only going to work in the southern part, like of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. It's not going to work uh, further north. And it holds a small amount, so you know, something like annual ryegrass works a lot better you don't have nearly as many trips that you need to fill if you're trying to use cereal rye or something like that in there. Okay, the inner seeding. I've had a few folks talk about it. Um, I had some plots out this year and been going up to Quebec, but they've been doing it about five years, very successfully. So they actually weren't satisfied and they got this uh, uh, rig, they had to get that from Europe, so it's got twin spinners, and it can spread it about, I think, 60 feet total. But again, going in there about the V4 to V7, this is what it looks like. Uh, that was, picture was taken on September the 5th. It's worked very well for them. They only do it in the corn, and basically, yield-wise, and their results that they've had, either no difference in yield or maybe just a, a bushel or two bump. But the following year, when they plant soybeans, they're, they're seeing a five to seven bushel increase. So very experimental. It's early on. Uh, big question I have is, how far south can we go with it? Because... You know, it, it, the shade, basically, it just goes dormant. I say dormant, but it's still got to be taking up a little bit of moisture to stay alive. And a hot, dry summer, especially if, uh, you know, I'm, I think we'd lose the stand. Uh, the plots I had out this year, uh, Six of the eight came through fine. All of them got established, but two of them, we had nothing. Nothing was left when we went back in August. So could be the residual herbicide program. We're not sure. And I've talked to the folks at Penn State that have been doing a lot of work on this, and they've got about the same ratio of success. It works most of the time, but not all of the time, and haven't been able to figure out why. 
One of the important points Dan shared, I think, is the number of equipment options out there today that help no-tillers get annual ryegrass in the ground on time in challenging no-till environments or in colder climates with shorter growing seasons. Some of those options include interseeding and aerial applications. Speaking of cover crop seeding, there will be plenty of opportunities to learn more about that topic at the upcoming 2018 National No-Tillage Conference, which will be held in Louisville, Kentucky, January 9th through the 12th. Several no-tillers at the 26th annual event will be sharing how they're interseeding cover crops into standing crops, and one session will provide some insight and tips on increasing your chances of success with aerial cover crop seeding. Featuring top experts with worldwide experience, the National No-Tillage Conference includes more than 100 money-making sessions and unlimited networking with the best of the no-till community. Register today for a discounted rate of just $329 at www.notillconference.com. Now let's return to the program and listen to Dan Towery share valuable tips and information on proper burndown conditions and procedures for annual ryegrass and the importance of identifying the variety of ryegrass being used in your fields. He'll also discuss potential yield increases being seen in soybeans following annual ryegrass and the plant's potential of providing high quality protein as a forage. Annual ryegrass burndown. This is probably the biggest issue that folks have. Anybody want to raise their hand that had used annual ryegrass and had trouble getting it killed? Okay. Who would like to volunteer what their program was? Tell them where you're from. I'm uh, Western New York. We're up between Buffalo and Rochester just south of Lake Ontario. But uh, when we first started using annual ryegrass, I was a little ignorant as to what VNS on the label stood for. Well, it only took me about two years to figure that out really damn quick. Variety not stated. And the reason I figured that out was because I started having issues with the termination side of it. And I also learned that there's a tetra, tetraploid. tetraploid variety and a diploid variety. And an Italian. Okay, Italian ryegrass. Yeah. See, see, he knows more than I do. I know. We, some of what we had was Italian ryegrass. But, uh, you know, looking into it further, with a variety not stated, that could be multiple species of varieties blended together in a bag. And when we went out and sprayed it, it was not all at the same growth stage, apparently. You know, we sprayed it with glyphosate, a stiff rate, and some 2,4-D, and when we planted the corn into it, or we had somewhere we had put processing peas in, it was nice and brown, looked great. Two weeks later, it started to green up. I had some fields that it actually took me three years to get it cleaned out. You know, we went, went from, uh, the peas to wheat and then back to corn and uh, it really liked the wheat crop. You could actually, <laughs> you know, the following year you could actually see the windrows of the ryegrass when we, the straw gets bailed off, we have dairy farmers that buy the straw and when we harvested the wheat the ryegrass got windrowed in the windrow and the following year 
we had a nice cover crop in the windrow areas, but uh, now we make sure if we we get some, it's uh, a variety stated. So we can talk about the successes of how to do it right. Many times we can learn a lot more from somebody who, you know, again, just not knowing and had a screw up. There can be part of what you have to do is wait until the annual ryegrass is actively growing. Different varieties, there can be as much as two weeks difference on when they start growing. You need to have, so, uh, your cover crop dealer needs to know the particulars of his variety and about when it starts uh, growing uh, and do not plant a blend, whatever, yeah, variety not stated, no. And, and the other, I just cl clear this up here. Many times some folks will get a bag that says Oregon annual ryegrass. There is no Oregon annual ryegrass variety. It just means it came from Oregon. You gotta look at the seed tag. Uh, so actively growing. Jamie Scott's back there, and, and uh, you can hide Jamie. He, he gives a very good analogy. It was your lawn greens up, but you don't spray the annual ryegrass uh, until you've mowed the front yard. And that's, that's close, it's close. Uh, but it takes some warm weather to get it actively growing. And if it's not all, and, and the other, <clears throat> let's see, when was it, 2012? You know, it turned warm in March. It got, we got to the 80s. I had people call me and said, I just sprayed my inner eyegrass. And I said, well, it's awfully early. And it was with one day of warm weather. They didn't kill it. So it will not get away like cereal rye. But, you know, two to three pints of glyphosate will take care of it. But here's some, again, some additional rules of thumb are rules of success or failure. You know, no atrazine or callisto in the mix. Anything that's gonna cause antagonism with the Roundup. Because it's gotta get on the annual ryegrass plant, it's gotta get translocated. Otherwise you piss it off. But this is from spraying it when it wasn't all actively growing. And so what's the knee-jerk reaction? Let's hit it with another quart. And it's, it's not growing very well. It's, 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 you know, it's not going to translocate to the root system. We're not dealing with, even though this isn't very tall, this is about eight inches. We're not dealing with an eight-inch foxtail plant. It's got roots down four feet. That's why we're planting it. So all the plants need to be actively growing at least three to five days of warm weather. Reduce the water to eight to 12 gallons. Spray between 10 and two, roughly. You want the dew to be dried off, but you want five hours of sunlight. And it works a lot better on a nice sunny day versus a cloudy day. But you know, I realize sometimes there's got to be compromises, but just 
you know, being aware that it's not going to translocate as well if it's a cool day. We know we want to put the AMS in to take care of the water hardness. And I will, we had one grower that, and he was a sharp grower. But he had his nurse tank with his water, and that was coming into the sprayer, and the AMS was going in uh, with the Roundup, everything at the same time. If you don't have that water pre-treated, if you will, taking care of the hardness, you just lost who knows how much of your effectiveness. So he was kind of struggling with the annual ryegrass. We couldn't figure out why. And it was just by happenstance that we, he talked about that, oh, he's putting the water in the, in the sprayer at the same time. So add the ammonium sulfate, and again, based on experience from folks like Jamie, uh, lowering the pH seems to just heat it up a little bit. So food grade citric acid is used. There's other acidifiers out there on the market that will do the same thing. But first of all, test your spray water. Find out how hard it is and what the pH is. It can affect your efficiency. We are getting some of the folks to lump the cover crops, get taller, get more benefits. Uh, allow the, if you have a legume for it to, because like crimson clover, it's going to fix, it's going to max out when it's just pre-bud. Well, that's typically last week in April, first week in May, and which is a little late for a lot of our guys wanting to plant corn. So you bring up a good point of planting a little bit later. But that's um, all we can do is provide the information, and uh, growers are going to do what they're, what they're going to do. I don't think you have to have 80 degrees. At, at 60 degrees, I, I feel pretty comfortable will, will be successful. I would hope that everybody here knows that we, the days of relying on glyphosate are over. You can't just depend on glyphosate. So if something does happen, you don't get it killed the first time, glyphosate is not necessarily the answer. We've got to be multiple modes of action. I mean, the other options for burn down are Paraquat and Liberty. And neither one of those are going to work real well. They're, they're, it's, it's going to come back. Uh, you'll have to go with at least two applications then. Gramoxone will, it, all that's going to do is burn what's on top. Not, no, no translocation. Uh, Sharpen is going to give you uh, it's a little bit of translocation. That, that may work, but I, I'd want to... Anybody have any experience using, using Paraquat and Sharpen? Nothing's going to work quite as well as glyphosate. So it's, I've had growers who said, well, I want to plant annual ryegrass, but I don't want to use Roundup. And I told them to select another cover crop. 
So I, you may be able to, but it's, it's. Um, <clears throat> so these are the ones, you have two options here. Because you get the glyphosate, it's going to translocate. But we've got a big root system there. It's going to want to green back up. If you use any of the, the Princep, Balance Pro, Prowl H2O, uh, the Resolve or Basis Blend, Axion, Zudu, those the shoots start coming back up and intercept these products. And that will, and again, you can either put these on with the glyphosate or come back and make a second application, you know, 10 days after burn down or so. And for folks who haven't used annual ryegrass, go in with the assumption that you're, you're going to make two spraying applications. Sometimes you get lucky, take it out the first time, but, but coming back with the residual, residual that you can mix with, with this, or you, know, you could come back with atrazine, for example, again, 10 to 14 days after you've applied the, the Roundup. That way the atrazine will be there to, to uh, take out those new shoots. I uh, got some few options to take care of it if it's post-applied. Uh, does need to be warm for these products to work. And I'm not going over everything. These are just uh, you know, some of the ones that are available. On soybeans, typically we're going to be using Roundup for the burn down and one of these products then for the, for the post application. Wheat. Okay, Don, you said you had ryegrass in your wheat. Anybody else have ryegrass in your wheat? Okay. Um, if you're using, when we started playing with annual ryegrass, we said don't plant, if you're using wheat, don't use annual ryegrass. Well, where's Denver at? Yeah, Denver's back here. He grows annual ryegrass out in Oregon. You got wheat in the rotation all the time, right? So we was like, well, you know, we don't want it in the wheat, but do we want to exclude it if we have wheat in the rotation? Well, there's, you can, again, even if it, you don't see anything out there, apply glyphosate before you, you plant, uh, plant the wheat. Okay. Uh, and just after planting, pre-emerge or early post-emerge, a uh, couple of residual products are in the fall or the spring, PowerFlex, Osprey, uh, other products that you can use to clean it up. Typically, oh, what I get is a call the middle of June. I've got ryegrass in my wheat. Well, I think that's called... Uh, you've got a forage. There's not much that can be done at that point in time. So it's, it's, it's going to cost a little money. You know, hopefully with just the glyphosate before planting the wheat, it won't be an issue. We're not used to having to use a grass herbicide in our wheat. Sometimes if you have a really good stand, I mean, this is a great root system in there. Uh, some folks can have a little bit of an issue closing the seed trench. Uh, but if you get the right closing wheels, 
uh, you can take care of that. This is an area, I mean, we consistently hear of folks getting a yield bump on their soybeans after using annual ryegrass. We don't know exactly why. This is some work that Mike Plummer did in southern Illinois, but basically showing the, the effectiveness of cereal rye and annual ryegrass on reducing soybean cyst nematode. However, you know, it needs to be a full, you know, all the pieces for reducing soybean cyst nematode. And it's not just planting annual ryegrass. I mean, it's, I mean, what it does is it causes the cysts, they think it's, there's a host there, so the, the eggs go ahead and hatch. Well, one theory is that you need, the annual ryegrass needs to be there to get, to get the hatch full or everything hatched that you need at least 40 days with soil temperature above 50 degrees. And so there's a lot more research that's needed to verify this. I think there is some work out of Ohio State where they got a 50% reduction on the cyst. And I, I've done just a little bit of work with soybean cyst nematode enough to know that I don't wanna do that. Um, I mean, it. And in the summertime, they go down deep. They're in this spot and this spot. They move. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an elusive creature. But a lot of our fields have it, and we don't know it. Or if you, if you do know it, then it's usually pr pretty significant. A little bit of annual ryegrass as a forage. Again, I said it depends all about the nitrogen that's in the soil profile. So if you've got manure on the fields, ch chances are there's going to be a fair amount. But it, the nitrogen content can vary from uh, just a little less than 1% to 3.5%. 2% is kind of a, a typical. Um, one of the things, especially like the dairies, really like about annual ryegrass, well, actually the beef cow uh, operations also, it's not, if, it, if it's got luxury nitrogen feeding, we can have the protein content being you know, 20%, 20 to 30%. So very high quality protein. I know some guys are mixing cereal rye and annual ryegrass together. Which, which, no, you don't want to do that. Well, you don't want to do it as a cover crop. If you're going to green chop it or take it off as forage, then you've kind of got you know, it's more tonnage from the cereal rye, but the higher quality, higher protein from the annual ryegrass. So the biomass will range, and again, I'm talking most of the time, you know, north of here, from a, uh, half a ton to 1.6 tons. Obviously, this far south, with warmer weather, you have the potential for more tonnage. Uh, little bit on the RFV. Uh, again, it's like anything else. It needs rainfall, it needs warmth, it needs all the things to, to get good growth out of it. Uh, the one comment, annual ryegrass, it doesn't, if you're making hay, it doesn't dry very well. You can expect an extra tedding operation, at least one. So as a green chop, it works a lot better, or uh, in Missouri, it's popular to use in the cow-calf operations. Only thing there, 
you know, if the, if the cow-calf is your priority and you got great grass out there, they let them graze, you know, into May. Well, and sometimes it's kind of wet in those fields. So they kind of, a lot of hoof prints out there, which, I, ooh, I just, I just, I don't like that. Uh, but to them, the forage was more important. They said, ah, soy, corn, soybean yields, whatever. They, they, don't, they don't, they do just as well. Find that a little hard to believe, but anyway, they want that forage. So you may want to up the seeding rate if you know you're going to be using it for a forage. If you're not having manure put down, 40 pounds of nitrogen in the fall and another 40 pounds in the spring, you'll double the, the, the biomass. We'd like to sincerely thank Dan Towery of Ag Conservation Solutions in Lafayette, Indiana for sharing his insights and experiences on managing annual ryegrass properly to get maximum benefits in terms of increasing biomass and soil health, boosting nutrient cycling, and setting up the following crop for high yields. For those listeners who would like to hear more about successful strategies for no-tilling, please visit notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping us to make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, feel free to drop me an email at jdoberstein at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2430. Once again, if you haven't done so already, You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up with the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For Dan Towery, TopCon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Senior Editor John Doberstein. Thank you for listening. <laughs>